0: Our scripture lesson this evening is Psalm 119. Yes, all 176 verses. But don't panic. We've rolled our Psalm of the Week uh, into the sermon, so we've freed up a bit of time for that. Uh, and it isn't—it it really isn't as—it uh, it isn't unreadable. It, it takes about 15 minutes to read, so the scripture reading will be longer than usual this evening. We'll uh, compensate uh, for that with. Uh, hopefully a bit of a shorter sermon. Um, but what I'd like to do this evening is just say a few things about Psalm 119 so that we can read it with more profit, hopefully, and then we'll uh, give three points of um, observation and application after reading its, uh, it in its entirety. So Psalm 119, um, to summarize, is a majestic poem in praise of God's Word and you hear the word majestic, and you say, Yeah, maybe, maybe too majestic. It's 176 verses. I mean, um, can, can we read the whole thing? We probably don't typically read the whole of Psalm 119. We, we know some of the verses, there are some, some, some very memorable verses from Psalm 119. Your word uh, I have stored in my heart that I might not sin against you, verse 11. Or verse 105 is quite familiar. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we know some of the verses, but I want to suggest to you and, and try to defend uh, to you this evening that the psalm is, is it's really meant to be read in its entirety. And perhaps, if, we, if, we, if that feels like a lot, it's probably meant to be memorized in its entirety. And the reason that we can suggest that is because of the construction of the poem. It might be helpful if you have your Bibles open just to look at the construction of Psalm 119. The poem is an acrostic. Um, that is, it is a mnemonic device. It is a, uh, it, the writer has employed a device for helping for the memorization. How, how this acrostic works is like this. The eight-verse sections follow the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first eight verses each begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. So like our letter A. If if we were reading this in Hebrew, we would see that the first eight verses all start with the letter A. A so the first word is esher which means blessed or happy. Now we don't see that in English translation but you would see that if you were reading this in Hebrew. And then the the second section each of the first words of the verses in the second section each begin with the Hebrew letter bait, sort of like our letter B and it keeps going like that all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. So the, the alphabetic structure, you might say, urges readers on until the end. So sort of from A to Z, so to speak. You wouldn't want to stop a, a, a part of the way through the alphabet. You keep working your way through it. And and as an aid to memorization, yeah, it'd be very, very hard and require a lot of work, but you'd at least be able to say, okay, I know this first section. Each of the first lines starts with A or B or whatever it might be. And so you can see it's, it's really meant to be to be, to be memorized, I, I do think. And so we certainly, as, as we were approaching Psalm 119, our Psalm of the Week, we could have said, well, let's divide it up into its 22 sections or maybe take two at a time and we'll do it over 11 weeks. And we certainly could have done that. We did that last time several years ago. But if we had done that, you would, you would miss the force, the majesty, and, and yes, the repetition of Psalm 119. And so I think it'll be good for us to read the psalm all at once. As we do, we will have this theme drummed into us from start to finish. God's law is a matchless treasure. That's what 162 says. It's like a person who finds great spoils. Um, so, so we, we're trying to gain that that attitude toward this, toward the Word of God. It's a matchless treasure, and and friends, this can be true for you. This attitude about the Word of God, no matter your trials. What you're going to hear as we read Psalm 119 is, like in the rest of the Psalter, the writer expresses his troubles. He doesn't um, he doesn't step aside from a difficult life and sort of in an academic sense, just sort of praise the law of God, divorced from life. No, he talks quite a bit about his troubles. But in his real-world troubles, God's ways buoy his hope, stabilize him, encourage him, give him reasons to press on. So listen to verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. So there he's praising the word of God in connection with his sorrows that are causing his soul to melt. I want to encourage you to notice uh, what we're going to focus on as our three points this evening as we read the psalm. The writer praises God's law, I think, in three main ways. So as we read, listen for these things. Number one, he shows its objective goodness. If, if you could truly look at the law of God without bias, without negativity toward it, you would say this is a good law. And we'll get into why. So it's objective goodness. Number two, he exemplifies how believers delight in it. Notice how many times the word delight comes up in the psalm in connection to God's word. And number three, he seeks God's help in obeying it. This is not the... A poem of a self-confident person, of sort of a natural law keeper who's just uniquely gifted to always obey God. No, he knows it's difficult, but he's, that's why he's constantly asking God, help me to keep your law. So let's give our attention to God's word. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 1. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight." They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord, Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion to all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but my whole heart, with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling, like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. Persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They've almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. And your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they shall stand this day for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. "'sweeter than honey to my mouth. "'Through your precepts I get understanding, "'therefore I hate every false way. "'Your word is a lamp to my feet "'and a light to my path. "'I have sworn an oath and confirmed it "'to keep your righteous rules. "'I am severely afflicted. "'Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. "'Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, "'and teach me your rules. "'I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise, that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up, that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love, and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. "'Make your face shine upon your servant "'and teach me your statutes. "'My eyes shed streams of tears "'because people do not keep your law. "'Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. "'You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness "'and in all faithfulness. "'My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. "'Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. "'I am small and despised, Yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. With my whole heart I cry. Answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you. Save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and "'Cry for help, I hope in your words. "'My eyes are awake before the watches of the night "'that I may meditate on your promise. "'Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. "'According to your justice, give me life. "'They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. "'They are far from your law. "'But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. "'Long have I known your testimonies "'that you have founded them forever.'" Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commands." "'Consider how I love your precepts. "'Give me life according to your steadfast love. "'The sum of your word is truth, "'and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. "'Princes persecute me without cause, "'but my heart stands in awe of your words. "'I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. "'I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules.' Great peace of those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I've chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. We made it. So three things that we want to notice from Psalm 119. The first observation is this, God's law is good. God's law is good. Uh, Verse 39 puts it briefly, your rules are good. Now, that isn't how we naturally think when is the last time you said about any rule? Now, that's a good rule. I like that rule. We, we do struggle, don't we? We struggle to appreciate rules because they sometimes seem to us like um, meaningless restrictions that keep us from doing what we want, right? Rules stop certain things from happening or require other things from happening, and they might not always accord with what we want. But what we notice from Psalm 119 is that the writer doesn't see the law as arbitrary or meaningless. He doesn't even really see it as a restriction. How he sees the law of God is is the way that God wisely orders his good world, his good creation. You see, the, the writer isn't simply praising God's laws, in abstraction from God, as if wow, these are these are good rules. He sees them connected to the Lord. They are God's ways. Did you notice how many synonyms of law the writer uses here? Um, he uses words like law, like ways, and testimonies, and precepts, statutes, commandments, rules all those synonyms, and that was only from the first eight verses of Psalm 119. Because he wants us to see the breadth of what God is doing in conveying his will to his beloved people. God wants to change our fundamental attitude about his rule. Not just his rules, but his rule. And so that's why the psalm, though long... And repetitive d- drives this point home to us. God's rule is good. And so, of course, his rules are good because his rule is good. His ways are good, and so his commandments are good. And that's true, of course, for, for Christians. We, we should have this attitude as well. This isn't, this isn't a, a, a uniquely Old Testament attitude, the Apostle Paul said in a sermon, or, or rather in a, in a defense of the faith, in Acts chapter 24, verse 14, he says, I believe everything laid down by the law. He says, that's, that's why I'm on trial today. I'm, I'm simply believing what the law says. Paul says in Romans 7, verse 12, the law, the commandments, they're good. They're, they're beautiful. They're upright. Of course, the problem is with us, not with the, not with the laws. Why is God's law good? And the the, the short answer that's given several times throughout this psalm, 142 for one example, 151, and this is so important for us to catch, especially in our day of moral relativism, is this, God's laws are good because his law is true. It's true. God's laws, writes C.S. Lewis in a helpful essay on, this, on, on all of the Psalms, but on this one in particular, God's laws are based on the very nature of things and the very nature of God. So in the law, you find, please don't miss this, you find the real the correct, the stable, well-grounded directions for living. So we don't simply praise God's law because it belongs to God and so therefore, well, it has to be good because it comes from God. The law itself is true. It's right. It corresponds to reality. And do we need a law that corresponds to reality today. Human ways and consequently human laws, commandments, rules often fail the test of reality. And we see this perhaps no more, no more, no place more powerfully than in the transgender movement and, and, and uh, homosexual movement. Should we choose a gender that contradicts what is anatomically real? And, and should we be supportive of the decisions of those who identify uh, with a gender that is anatomically inaccurate with reality? And yet now we have, we have rules about how we must respect these decisions that are contrary to what is real. God's law isn't like that. God's law is is a perfect, has perfect correspondence to what is true. C.S. Lewis goes on to write this, as if he was writing last week, Christians increasingly live on a spiritual island. New and rival ways of life surround it in all directions, and their tides come further up the beach every time. That's where we're at today. We need a law that is real, that corresponds to what is true. God's rules are good, the the, the psalmist says, because they reject every false way, verse 128 and several other verses. And that's why, as you heard the, the reading of the psalm, God's law will endure forever, it's not temporary. You know, the the moral law is abiding because it reflects what is real and true. In fact, God confirms the goodness of his law by spurning all who hate his statutes. Why? Because they're hating what is good, what is real, what is true. He discards them like dross, the writer says in 118, 119. And so friends, the law of God is good because it's real and true, meaning we can trust it. Verse 42. That's very important. We're being asked, we're being commanded by God to, to trust His word, to order our lives according it, to it, be, to be unpopular by our, our obedience to the law of God, perhaps to face reprisal because of our obedience to the law of God. But listen, it's real, it's true, you can trust it. The law of God will never turn you in the wrong direction. You will never be on the wrong side of history if you stick with the law of God. Perhaps in the moment, but not in the big picture. His his reliable laws actually prove his mercy as verse 77 and 156 tell us. How do we know that God is merciful? Because he gives us laws that correspond to reality. He doesn't trick us. He doesn't teach us some false way to live. He He doesn't march us off a cliff. With, with poor directions. And because God's word is true, it blesses those who do it. God's rules truly help us, as verse 175 says. That's also the point of the lead verse. Number one, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Listen, the psalm promises, as one writer has noticed, um, these blessings, the blessing of liberation, the blessing of light, the blessing of life, and the blessing of stability. No other laws, no other ideas can deliver those kinds of promises. What does that mean? Well, by keeping God's law, we experience liberation. We actually fight the bondage of sin, as verse 133 says. We also experience light. We gain wise counsel, verse 24, whereas everything around us is darkness. We have life. We can live faithfully before God's face in obedience to his law, and we experience stability. 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So because God's law corresponds to God's good design, it is truly the best plan for life. All right, so God's law is good, number one. Number two, God's law delights believers. So the first point is about sort of the the objective uh, truth and and goodness and rightness of God's law. This is about our subjective experience of God's law. The writer is thoroughly um, personal in his praise of God's law. What we're saying here is that God's laws which are good also seem good to those who are beginning to see the universe from God's perspective. God's law delights believers. God's law gives true joy 111 says. Now understand How important this is. Um, And and I think to understand how important it is, we have to go back to the beginning of the the story of this world. In our fall into sin, humans deliberately rejected the good, the true, and the beautiful, to use an ancient uh, triad of, of what constitutes the good life the good, the true, and the beautiful. And that's why throughout the psalm we hear the writer saying that insolent people wander from God's commandments, verse 21, just for example. It's constantly been true since the beginning. Insolent people wander from God's commandment, bring shame on themselves, verse 78. That's certainly true of humanity as a whole in Adam's fall. But by grace, what we love begins to get recalibrated, we begin to love what is good and true and beautiful again. So grace isn't contrary to law. Grace actually enables us to love God's law. And so you can hear the writer throughout this, throughout this poem identifying how believers truly lose interest in what is evil. Verse 101, we lose interest in what is false. Falsehood doesn't appeal to us anymore, as verse 29 and 104 say. We're not interested in what is ugly, verse 37, but what is beautiful. And we pursue God's commandments that can give even the simple more understanding than the smartest enemies of God. He says that in 98, 99, 100, 103. That's why also, by the way, particularly for, for, for younger people, the writer says things a, a couple of times. Verse 63 is one example. He says, um, my, co- my companions love your law. He's he's chosen friends, he's chosen his closest companions to be people who love the law of God because they too are beginning to have their desires recalibrated and he wants companions like that, not people who are insolent, who are turning from the commandments, embracing what is evil and false and ugly. And and friends, again, we, we don't simply delight in God's law because of their natural goodness but because of how they reveal God, how they help us fellowship with him. Did you notice how the writer can hardly distinguish God from his ways? He can hardly distinguish God from his laws and his commandments. Listen to verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Really, the the only... The only difference between the two parts of that phrase are God and his rules. They're both righteous, and he praises them both. He praises God because of his righteous rules, verse 62 as well. He, he also honors God's righteous rules as a way of praising him. Spiritual people know that God's word can make them wise unto salvation. It holds out something beautiful for God's people. And so we long for it, as verse 81 says. This is why we can say with 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Ignorance of God's laws is a reason to cry, he says in 136, because it reveals ignorance of God. And so the sweetness that a believer has uh, with the taste of the law of God is because we are tasting something of God in the law. That's why we should have such a high view of the law and be even, even forcefully opposed to those who reject God's law, as you heard the writer uh, express himself throughout it. And, and for this reason also, God's people want to obey no matter the cost. The writer has set himself to obey God's law, 106 says. Or verse 5, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. There's that desire, that yearning, that commitment. And the first step toward doing that as the writer says, in many, many places, verse 15, verse 48, verse 148, is by knowing God's will by heart. We, we don't want to use the, the law of God as a, you know, as, a, as a code book that we only use when we have to look something up to find out, you know, what do I have to do in this situation? What is the law? Now, we may use it that way, of course, but we want the law of God in our hearts so that we are almost impulsively making wise decisions because God's law is within us. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? Because God's law delights believers. And so we, we want to have more of it. We want to obey it. Uh, we want others to as well. That brings us to the third point of Psalm 119, I believe. And that is this, the the law of God demands divine help for keeping it. So, as as we worked our way through the psalm, we got occasionally a, a sense from the writer that he knows that he cannot keep God's law perfectly. He loves God's law. He knows it's the right path. He knows it will result in blessings to those who keep it. He he has has no problem with, with God's law. The problem is his ability to keep it. He remembers God's commandments. He says that quite a few times, doesn't he? I have not forgotten your laws, but he just hasn't always kept them. He says in verse 176, the last verse, interestingly, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. See, the problem is not the law. The problem is not the sheep pen. That's the place where the psalmist wants to be is is within the, the the safe and delightful confines of of that sheep pen. God's holy wills, but he has wandered from that sheep pen like a lost sheep. And so, he asks God for help throughout the psalm, doesn't he? Listen to verse 10. Let me not wander from your commandments. Let me not wander You see, God must open our eyes. He must enlarge our hearts so that we can see the wonders of his law, so that we may run in his ways. And so we should be people of prayer toward greater obedience of God's law. Listen to verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts. I don't want to be ignorant. I don't want to run in the wrong direction. I don't want to waste my energies committed to what is false and evil and ugly. He says in verse 65, teach me good judgment and knowledge. See, he's, he's, he's crying out to the God of all creation, the God who knit him together personally and has made all of life, all of the rules of the universe, who knows the best possible way to flourish. And he says, Lord, you know what will make me wise, verse 73. So make me wise. Help me to attain the righteousness that you require. And brothers and sisters, I I think that's one of the ways as The song that we sang a moment ago, Your Law, O God, is Our Delight, puts it, this is one of the ways that the law brings us to Jesus. Jesus and the disciples are constantly saying things like, the law testifies to to, to Jesus Christ, Right? Acts 28, 23 is one example. The Heidelberg Catechism says this, the laws, sacrifices, and other ceremonies foreshadow the gospel by emphasizing our need to be righteous like God. But right? If we see anything in Psalm 119, it is the majestic righteousness of God. How do we have such a righteous law? Well, because we have a righteous God. He is holy And unlike the gods of the nations, the the rulers, the kings, the lawmakers, um, this lawmaker actually lives consistently with his laws. His laws are a consistent reflection of who he is, is another way of saying it. And this is so important. Remember remember Martin Luther um, struggled early on to appreciate the righteousness of God. He, early on, struggled to understand how God's purity was good news. So in Psalm 119, we see the purity of God, the righteousness of God. But Luther, early on, said, I don't understand how that's good news. Sounds like bad news. Because we have a righteous God who's holy in all his ways. He's told us how to be holy, but we're not. But Luther came to see God's righteousness as both making and supplying demands. God's righteousness makes demands, but it also supplies demands. The law doesn't supply what we need to obey it but God in his righteousness does. That's what Romans 1, 16 and 17 says. The gospel, in distinction from the law, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The writer of Psalm 119 got that. He understood that he was not righteous on his own. And so as he prays in verse 40, in your righteousness, give me life. In your righteousness, give me life. And friends, that is the prayer of faith. That's the prayer of every believer. We look to God's righteousness. Psalm 119 helps us to do that. And we say, Lord, in your righteousness, give me life. Life. You might have also noticed that throughout the psalm, there's a strong note of promise. Maybe surprisingly, the word promise is one of those words like ways, laws, commandments, precepts, statutes. Sometimes it's promise. Very interesting. In fact, this surprised me, 20% of Scripture's use of the word promise is in Psalm 119. Isn't that interesting? you You have laws, but you also have promise that the psalmist is looking to. And so as verse 123 says, when the writer longed for the fulfillment of God's promise... What is he longing for? He says I long for the fulfillment of your promise. What is he longing for? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 20 says that all of God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus. He is the yes. He's the answer. He's the amen to every promise. And so when the writer says, I long for the fulfillment of your promise, he was longing for Jesus. The New Testament tells us that when Jesus came into this world, it was a demonstration that God had remembered his covenant. He is providing what the people needed, what was demanded of them. And so Psalm 119, I would suggest to you, is a powerful commentary on the first verse of the Psalter. So Psalm 1, verse 1 says this, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And that statement is true, properly speaking, of only one person. That's why the Psalms are all about Jesus, right? That's why the writers in the New Testament say, go to the Psalms and you'll you'll find Jesus there. Because he truly is that man who delights in the law of the Lord. And we can live like Jesus, only in union with Jesus, gained by faith in God's gift of righteousness. We should be able to agree with the writer in the last verse of the psalm that we are not... Properly speaking, the one who delights in the law of God. I mean, we're, we're learning, but delight in God's law is not the, the, the perfect way to describe us. He says, rather, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. And so have we. But even we who love God's law, who have gone astray, can find in Jesus... The good shepherd, the one who comes and finds and gathers his servants. Listen again to the last verse of the psalm. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Well, that's, that's a beautiful testimony to the coming of the good shepherd. We've gone astray like lost sheep. Come and seek us, Lord. Come and seek us. That's what Jesus has done. He puts us back on the path of life. And so if you trust in Jesus, Psalm 119 is your song. It's your song. It's, it expresses your understanding of the goodness of God's law. It expresses your delight in God's law. And it articulates your expectation that God will help you honor his law. Let's pray for, uh, to the Lord in, in praise of His wondrous law and also seeking His help to honor it. Faithful God, we do love your law, or we're learning to love your law. We, we, we see that we should love it, it should delight us because it is good. It exposes everything that is false and phony and ugly and, and lies cannot stand under the scrutiny of your law. And so help us to love it and help us to do it because we have wandered like lost sheep. So bring us back, seek your servant, and may be true of us as well that we do not forget your commandments. We pray these things in Jesus' name.